0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, October 23rd, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. The current set of sanctions on Iran, while they may harm the regime there, also harm average people. And by pushing Iranians into gray and black markets, sanctions can empower some of the worst elements in Iran. Justin Logan, director of foreign policy studies at the Cato Institute, offers his thoughts. Well, what is the rationale for sanctions on Iran? What's interesting because it's sort of shifted over time. Several years ago, when these really wound up, I mean, you can go all the way back to 1996 with the ILSA, the Iran Libya Sanctions Act, uh, if I'm remembering the acronym correctly. But in any event, these wound up initially, particularly five or six years ago, targeting in individuals involved intimately in the Iranian nuclear program itself, uh, front groups cover firms that were involved in procuring materials uh, involved, intimately involved, inherently involved in Iran's uranium enrichment program. And over time, without really any public discourse or, or debate about it, they've moved to trying to collapse the Iranian economy. Um, and, and, and if you ask people on Capitol Hill – is the purpose of our sanctions policy to collapse the Iranian economy? They'll sort of squirm and say, no, you know, we want to create leverage uh, in the negotiations. But, but, but that's actually uh, what we're doing. Essentially, what we want to do is to cause such economic distress in Iran that the regime there fears for its survival. And people on Capitol Hill differ – as to whether in practice what we want is an Iranian regime that's pushed so far back on its heels by fear of domestic unrest as a consequence of these sanctions that it's willing to make enormous concessions in negotiations. Or a lot of the people who support the sanctions really are after regime change ultimately um, and think of the sanctions in those terms. So it's actually sort of well-known around town who's writing the sanctions. It's another think tank colleague of ours, not a Cato. but he's been writing these for a long time and he talks himself about the importance of changing the regime in Iran, that there's no way that you could trust any diplomatic deal brokered with the existing regime. So it's interesting that we had – you know, everybody agreed. Should we try to prevent uh, uh, materials that would be used solely to enrich uranium from getting their way into Iran? Well, that seems like a pretty lowest common denominator sort of idea. And then over time, they've just sort of snowballed. And the the you know talking point that I've I've used is that Congress on Iran policy has really had two speeds in the past several years: sanctions and to sleep. Um, and they really just that's all they think that needs to be done to Iran. So it is interesting that we've we've really shifted the uh, purpose of the sanctions policy without uh, any real debate about it. What impact do sanctions typically have on countries that? In which we're trying to impose them. Well, the interesting thing is that the sort of narrative trajectory of what's happened on Iran really defies a lot of the academic scholarly literature on how sanctions work. So the problem with trying to sanction a country like Iran is it produces something that lots and lots of people in the global economy want, namely oil. So the the traditional view is that by the very nature of these things international sanctions against countries that produce things like oil tend to be very leaky right United States has uh, 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 prohibited the trade in cocaine and marijuana uh, and other illicit drugs and we see that because people want drugs in the united states there are still drugs in the united states and so the the sanctions literature says something very much like that right that the united states can be really angry at iran and say we're not going to bring in any oil from iran um, but somebody somewhere um, some crafty entrepreneur will say hey i can make a lot of money here uh, getting oil out of iran and so it It's important to point out that it's not just oil uh, that the United States has has led an international sanctions coalition uh, on Iran with. We've really tried to uh, strangle their economy by way of preventing them from accessing um, international, international financial clearing devices like the SWIFT financial system that allows them to basically do international commerce. If you want to do you know large-scale commerce in different currencies you need to go through this Swift banking system um, and we've really locked down their ability to access that global insurers uh, are very, very wary about, not, not just very, very wary, have basically stopped insuring Iranian shipments, Iranian boats that are, that are transporting oil and other things to Asia and other places. So the Iranians are taking risk themselves and self-insuring uh, what oil is making its way onto global markets to the extent that they're able via presidential waivers to sell their oil there's a bizarre transaction whereby it's almost like a barter system essentially what they're doing is there so let's say that they sell a tanker of oil to China the remuneration for that oil is kept in an account in China in escrow essentially and monitored such that it can only be used to procure chinese goods in return and so what this does is you know there there people on the street in iran are talking about how there's this glut and and this isn't my terminology, of Chinese junk in Iran because, you know, the Chinese aren't selling them meats. They aren't selling things that Iranians want. They're getting a lot of just sort of uh, 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 manufactured detritus, I guess. Um, And so there's a whole bunch of stuff that Iranians don't want. But because that money is locked in escrow in China, that's all that they can get uh, in return. And so the Iranian economy, our colleague Steve Hanke has pointed out, has been going through bouts of just rapid hyperinflation, Uh, the currency, the real has just bounced around all over the place. And I think it's important to point out, it's not just de jure sanctions that have had this effect. There's a tremendous amount of fear among banks where they say, well, this is sort of a gray area. We think that this would be legal, but boy, do we really want to risk that? And the people at the Treasury Department in the United States have really been assiduous at prosecuting small ball transactions i'm talking about in the range of three four five six thousand dollars medical equipment food and things like that that even treasury Says, well, it's probably legal, but so there's this tremendous climate of fear and uncertainty where banks say, "Is this worth the risk?" And having to litigate with the U.S. government, the hell with it. We just won't inv- engage in any transactions, any insurance with Iran, uh, and so that's had pretty devastating effect on Iran. And of course, the human toll is the most important one with respect to the United States having friends in Iran. What is what has been the effect? What has been the effect that we've actually witnessed? Uh, in Iran so far? Well, there's no question that uh, (laughs) the the, the sanctions regime has made the lives of everyday average Iranians much worse. Uh, Families that used to eat meat at dinner don't have meat anymore, right? They're eating rice uh, and things like that, fruits, things. That, I mean, you know, things that we take for granted, right? That you have, you know, in in, in the Safeway or you know whatever your grocery store is, are disappearing um, from Iranian marketplaces. And perversely, one of the things that's happened, I used the, the the drug prohibition analogy earlier in this podcast. One of the perverse things that's happened is again, the ostensible rationale is that who we really want to stick it to is the Iranian government. So there's all of this barter going on in Iran, all of this gray market, and in some cases, black market, not just for you know drugs and other things like that, but now for Iranian currency itself, the actual trading price of the rial on the streets of Tehran is different than what the government tells you it is. And in many cases, the people who have been profiting from and running Uh, these gray and black market operations have been the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, uh, the sort of worst bad guys inside of the Iranian regime who have capitalized on this, again, these sort of black markets and are making lots of money. So that's a perverse consequence, but there's no doubt medical devices, again, things that officially are allowed in have been held up because of this fear and uncertainty. So look, I mean it would be bad if Iran got a nuclear weapon and should we be willing to starve or take food off the table of some Iranian families or prevent medical devices from getting into Iran Uh, to prevent that from happening, or if it has a chance of helping prevent that from happening. You know, (laughs) different people have different opinions on that. I don't even have a very well-articulated opinion myself, but it would be good to square up frontally to what our policy is. Justin Logan is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at cato.org.